reading of God's word. We'll begin this morning in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 19. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hand and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's their, anyone their sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. The Gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. He is risen. Amen. Now, I've had the opportunity to preach several Easter messages through the years now. I've had an opportunity to preach the story of Jesus' resurrection from each of the four Gospels. That's a, a, a privilege I'm happy about now. Uh, all the resurrection stories have some strange events in them and some strange words. But uh, I have to say, of all the ones I, I've preached so far, this passage is the weirdest. However, I think the Bible, like a lot of things in life, the difficult becomes easier, the unclear becomes more clear if we'll slow down and actually listen. How much of our life would be improved if we just slowed down and really listened to any number of things? Today, it's the scripture. So let's go a little slower in our passage, and let's uh, start in verse 19. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. Now, I don't think the point of the passage is for us to ask, how did he get inside that locked room? It's like a magic trick. Clearly, somehow he got inside that locked room. And uh, the power of God is at work. But there's a more important point in this first verse, and that is that they were terrified. They were locked in there because they were terrified. They were afraid the same people who crucified Jesus were now going to hunt them down to exterminate them. And the point of this verse is that this morning, if you are scared of anything, Jesus is there with you. If you are scared of anything, he can make his way past a locked door to be with you. Verse 20. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hand and his side. He still has wounds even after he's raised from the dead? What happened if they had cut off a hand? What would happen if they had burned him? These are questions we want to ask, but I think those are not the point of the passage. I don't think the point is for us to take the resurrection to the science fair. I think the important thing for us to see from this passage is this is not a ghost. This is a man who's been raised from the dead in a body. He has scars. He eats. He drinks. He teaches. And it reminds us that God intends to make all this creation new. He meant to make you. He meant to make this earth. And he is redeeming it because he made it all to last forever. And now he's bringing that original plan back online. Verse 21. Again, he said to them, peace be with you as the father has sent me. So I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, why is he breathing on them? 
And how did that not look ridiculous? I mean, how do you do that? <sighs> receive the Holy Spirit. <sighs> receive, receive the Holy Spirit. Why is he breathing on them? He's breathing on them because in the Old Testament, the prophet Ezekiel said God would bring resurrection through breath. Ezekiel chapter 37. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. In this passage, Jesus is promising them the resurrection. What you've just seen, what was promised so long ago, receive it. Why is Jesus breathing on them? Because God breathed on man at creation all the way back in the second chapter of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils, and man became a living person. Jesus has just undone all the sin of Adam and the fall in the garden, and now he's put the breath back into us. He's breathing on them to bring to, around all these promises of why we were created and the hope of the resurrection. And now he tells them, I'm sending you on a mission. And now comes the point of, of this whole passage. Verse 23. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Jesus meant for his followers now to go around proclaiming the forgiveness of sins. This is the whole point of this whole scene. It's to come down to that moment. To say to the world, as Jesus so often says, your sins are forgiven, now go and sin no more. Those words set people free. Those words give people the hope that they can go from becoming one thing to becoming something better. And our church has been part of proclaiming this message of forgiveness to the world for 19 years now. 19 years. But let's do it some more because it's Easter Sunday and it's right so if you're an addict this morning and you're disgusted with yourself, God is not disgusted with you. He has made a path to healing. And if you are ready to take that path, join the church of Jesus Christ and you will find it. Maybe you've been a terrible parent. Maybe you even abandoned some of your children. God is not so disappointed that he would abandon you. There is a way to heal those precious relationships that you have trashed along the way. And if you're ready for that healing, become a part of the church of Jesus Christ and you will find it. Whatever this morning has you feeling ashamed, has you feeling hurt or dirty before God, Jesus is on that cross saying, look, this is for you. I would do anything to save you. I pay for all your sins. I pay willingly. There's nothing between us now. Now come and be mine. Uh, but that's not the confusing part of this passage, is it? It was that, that second part. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. That's the hard verse, doesn't it? There's a reading of this verse that implies that the church has the power 
to keep people from receiving the forgiveness of God. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Uh, we're not going to make use of that reading today. What I think is happening is Jesus is not giving us the power to withhold forgiveness and asking us to go out and use it. Jesus is telling us we have always had the power to withhold forgiveness and he's asking us not to. I'll say it again. Jesus is not giving us the power to withhold forgiveness and asking us to go out and use it. He's telling us we've always had the power to withhold forgiveness and he's asking us not to. If you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. We, he's telling us, have a choice. And we've always had this choice. We've always had the power to offer forgiveness or withhold forgiveness from others. So we can choose to either to be his agents of forgiveness in the world or just be messengers of unforgiveness. Many, many years ago, it was a, a bad winter. We finally had a nice spring day. So I decided I was going to do my Bible study while I took a walk. I was walking down the street. I came across a guy who was working under the hood of his car out in front of his house. He saw my Bible, so he stopped me. And he started asking questions and telling stories about church and God and so forth. And then he started telling me stories of things that were going on in his church, things that were being said to men, particularly during the service, things that they made guys in the congregation stand up and do that were really embarrassing and humiliating. And he had one story, and he had two stories, and he had three stories. And I could tell this was clearly a toxic, toxic place. And after he got about to his third story, I finally couldn't take it anymore. I said, have you ever thought about going to a different church? One that doesn't cut you down and humiliate you like that? And he looked me right in the face and he said, yeah, but aren't you supposed to feel bad when you go to church? His church had withheld the message of forgiveness so long that he now believed in his heart that all God wanted from him was to go and be put down and humiliated every seven days and that if he wasn't up for it, then he wasn't a very good follower of God. I've heard this story several times, but I just heard it again this year uh, about a man and all his brothers and sisters were kicked out of a Christian school as children because their parents were getting a divorce. So this Christian school and many others I've heard about decided to say to these children, you can't be forgiven because your parents are having problems. Some of these kids grew up to be hardened criminals. They hate themselves. Because Jesus gave to the church and gave to these Christian organizations stickers that say loved and forgiven and said go put them on people. But this Christian school decided they wouldn't use those stickers. No, they had a drawer full of these other stickers that said things like illegitimate and unclean and not forgiven. And they decided to put those on everyone instead. Jesus did not give them those stickers. They have always had them. For 19 years now, we've been going out to Longview Lake Swimming Beach and baptizing uh, out, the, out at the lake those who want to follow Jesus. 19 years, and I tell you almost every single year, someone gives their testimony and says, I went to church my whole life, 
and I never knew that God forgives me. How does that happen? Did their church never preach John chapter 20? Did they never baptize anyone? Did they never take communion? Did they never sing the song Amazing Grace? Uh, Truthfully, I'm sure they did all those things. I'm absolutely sure they did all those things. But somehow, in it, they must have always taken the opportunity to say, now God offers you forgiveness, but you better straighten up and fly right or you're not getting it. They withheld the message of forgiveness. And so the people did not find their way to it. They were not forgiven. For years until God found some other way to bring them that hope, everyone, we wield an awesome power. We wield an awesome power. And the funny thing is, we have wielded our whole lives, whether we knew it or not. We can take all the sins of the world and we can hold them up to the world and we can say, now you look at this disgusting mess. You look at this disgusting world. You are not forgiven for this. Or we can be agents of Christ's forgiveness in the world and say, as he so often said, your sins are forgiven. Now go and sin no more. For our congregation and for many congregations like us in the world, we choose to proclaim the full gospel, the good news. The good news that God, as it turns out, is not out to get us. He wants to rescue us. He wants to rescue us even from ourselves, if that's what it takes. If we're our own worst enemy, he'll rescue us from ourselves. And now... For Lakeland Community Church, I have a very specific challenge. First, I want to welcome all of you who are guests. Some of you have come from quite a distance, and we're really glad that you can be with us today. So welcome. Um, I want to welcome all of you who have chosen this Sunday to see, or maybe this is your second or third. You're still investigating. Is this a church where I would want to uh, call my church home, call these my brothers and sisters, grow in Christ here? So I welcome you too. Um, But I I need to give a challenge specifically to those people who call this their church home and they come here week in and week out. So I welcome all of you and I apologize um, that I'm going to issue an inside challenge if if you'll indulge me that here on Easter Sunday. Here's my challenge, Lakeland. I believe we still have a lot of unforgiveness in our congregation. Now don't get me wrong, this is a very forgiving place. Uh, We are ready to forgive prostitutes and forgive the Johns who have abused them for their sexual immorality and show them a new path. We are ready to forgive ex-convicts for theft and even murder if they are ready to follow Jesus. We are ready to give a second chance to all sorts of addicts and criminals and abusers. We are even willing to forgive those to whom God has given great wealth and they've done nothing with it but be greedy. He's given them all these gifts and they've squandered it all on themselves. We're even willing to forgive those people. But there are a few people, I believe, in our congregation whom we have still not let off the hook. Many of you in this room have been hurt by someone. Maybe you had parents who didn't know the first thing about loving and raising children and so you had to raise yourself. Some of you had clergy or even aunts or uncles or grandparents who violated a sacred trust 
and they abused your body. Some of you were abandoned by those who were supposed to take care of you. Others of you were told you were no good by those who were supposed to speak life and encouragement into you. You've been deeply hurt and wronged, and you hold hate in your heart for them. But I want to tell you that it is not the way of Jesus that we should offer forgiveness willingly to all these strangers we meet when we cannot offer forgiveness to those who have hurt us personally. It means that we haven't really yet understood that cross. That cross represents painful forgiveness. That cross represents forgiveness that costs a great deal. We must be willing to walk with Christ through that painful forgiveness. Now, how on earth are we going to forgive this person who hurt you? Let's take our forgiveness lesson again. First thing is that forgiveness is not excusing the evil they have done. It's not excusing it. They hurt you. It was wrong. And that sentence comes with a period at the end. There's no yeah, but. Second, forgiveness is not exposing yourself to that danger a second time. If your ex-husband is a dangerous person, forgiving him does not mean you have to go invite him over for Christmas next year. These people may not be safe. You don't have to reform the previous relationship. That's not forgiveness. We'll put an exclamation point at the end of that sentence. Don't be codependent again. You already did that once. Forgiveness doesn't mean you have to go say it to them, that they're forgiven. In some cases, this person may have already passed away. This person may not be mentally stable enough to hear that. They may take the opportunity to hurt you again if you got near them. They may deny that they've ever done anything wrong. Right to your face. Forgiveness doesn't mean you have to go have a conversation with them about it. All right. So if forgiveness isn't excusing them and saying it's okay, and if forgiveness isn't reforming a relationship with them and going through it again, and if forgiveness isn't going and telling them you've forgiven them, then what is it? What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is when you come to that place where you wish the person who hurt you well, where you can say in your heart, God, if you want to bring some good to them, if you want to bring them some healing, if you want to help them catch some break, it's all right with me. It's all right. I suppose everybody probably deserves at least a moment of happiness somewhere. When you can say that, you have forgiven them. Now, how do you get there with these people? It's a step at a time. The first step starts over here somewhere. So if you haven't already, let's go ahead and imagine the person it is who hurt you. If I'm right, nine out of ten of you have someone like this. The first step of forgiveness is when you can say, that this is a person. This is a person. They're not a demon. 
They're not a monster. They're not just a child molester. They're not just a control freak. It's a person. It's a human being. So when you can say in your, in your heart, Kevin is a person. Maxine is a person. Sorry to all the Kevins and Maxines. I, I just needed some names. Well, you can say, this is a human being. You have taken step one toward forgiveness. Um, some of you may be able to do this while you're sitting right here. Some of you, this may take a few weeks. But it's the journey. When you can say in your heart, this is a person, then you're ready to take step two toward forgiveness. Step two in forgiveness is that you give up your need to hurt them or to see them hurt. Right, right now, you're holding them in this place in your heart where it's like, they can't get away with this again. And so you hate them. You might withhold different things from them or interact a certain way, or maybe you never see them, but you just hold them right here in your heart. Now, I want to ask you, who's really being held right here? Aren't you the one boiling in your own hate here, and they're out somewhere doing their own thing, not giving you a second thought? So who's the captive? I'm telling you, this unforgiveness is eating you alive. So you've got to give them over to God. There's a, you, you, you say, Lord, whatever you want to do to this person, you take care of them. Good or bad, I no longer need to hurt them. You just, I give them over to you. I don't need to be in control of what happens to them. You will know you have actually made this transfer when you can hear news that something bad has happened to them and it doesn't make you smirk anymore. Where you're like, Oh, they got divorced again, did they? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Coming. Okay, when you, when you no longer feel that way, you've made the transfer. You'll really know you've made the transfer when you can hear that something good happened to them and it doesn't make you angry, right? They come into a good job and a bunch of money and you don't go, why do they always land on their feet? So when you can get to the point, you say, all right, well, they were in God's hands and, and that's what happened. You've made step two. The next step in forgiveness is when you can begin to understand and accept this person. Now again, you're not going to excuse what they did. We already said that's not forgiveness. But you come to a place of understanding why they are the way they are. For instance, you might say, uh, I think the reason they didn't love me like they were supposed to is because no one really ever loved them. They don't know what it is. You might say, they're sick in their head and their heart. Now, that, that doesn't excuse them, right? You're sick in your head and your heart too, and you don't do that kind of stuff to people, so it doesn't excuse them. But you say they're sick in their head and their heart, and they're not managing it well, and this is the stuff they do. They lash out at people because they're so insecure in themselves that they have to come step on me to make themselves feel better. That's what they're doing. I, I understand and accept. They have limits. You really know you've accepted them when you can say things like, it's the same type of thing I do to people when I get out of sorts. And then you'll come to this step in forgiveness where you can say, God, if you want to bring them something good, that'd be all right. Some healing. If you want to bring them someone who could love them, ain't going to be me, but if you want to bring them someone who could love them, I'd be all right with that. I, I kind of hope it happens. I think everybody deserves a break and some happiness in life. And now you have forgiven them. It may take years to cross this path. 
So if you need a book to keep you on this path for all the time it may take, there's a great one by a pastor, Lewis Smeads, called The Art of Forgiving. It'll help walk through this journey. Uh, we have it today at the coffee bar if you'd like to buy a copy. If you don't want to spend money on it, I know it's across the street at the library. The Art of Forgiving. Because it'll tell you there's a, next, there's a step after the last step of forgiveness. And that's when you wake up one morning, this person, you've forgiven them, you've wished them well, and all of a sudden you realize, you know what? I still hate them. You have a forgiveness relapse. All sorts of things can trigger it. Like you may have kids, right? And they turn out to be wonderful grandparents. And you think, why couldn't you have ever been this nice to me? All sorts of things can trigger this. But now you're an experienced forgiver and you can take these steps again. You know what? There's still a person. I don't need to hurt them. I understand how it got this way and uh, I I wish them well again. You're you're more experienced at forgiving now. You're becoming an expert forgiver. You'll make this faster. Some weeks during certain times of the year, you may relapse every morning and find you have to do it again. Sometimes it may go on for 10 years and then... Just like that, you're back here. But you're getting better at it. You're getting better at it, and now you are an agent of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Now you really understand that cross. You understand that Jesus came to earth in Christmas because he realized they're humans. They're not monsters. He gave up his right to punish us. His right to punish us. It's him we disobeyed. But he gave up his right to punish us because he understands our limits. And so he came to be a person with us and says, here, I'll show you in my son Jesus how to be a real human being. And since he knows we can't walk this journey alone, he gives us the Holy Spirit. He says, let me come and breathe my presence inside of you and it'll help you make this journey. And then he wishes us well. He wishes us a kingdom of eternal life with him. And you know what? God doesn't relapse. Now he knows we're gonna need a special power to be able to make this difficult journey and that's why he said to the disciples, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. He is risen. risen Let us bless one another. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. He is risen. He is risen.